Hi, my name's Owen, uh, and I just want to add my welcome to that of James's earlier. Whether you're a Foundation regular or whether you're here for the first time, I'm so glad that you've joined us today. It's my privilege to be continuing our series looking at the New Testament letter of James. It's a letter written by the half-brother of Jesus to the early church in the latter half of the first century. James's key concern in this letter that we've been working through together is to help his readers and in turn to help us to understand what it looks like to have a living faith in Jesus Christ. Effectively, James's letter aims to say, if you claim to have put your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, if you claim that in him you have found life and hope and meaning, then that will have an impact in your life. It will have a practical outworking in, in the way you live. And it's challenging as we read through this letter. And, and, and as we read, we realize that we fall short in many ways. But that's also, in so many ways, the beauty of Scripture and, and of this letter is that as we read these verses, we hold them up like a mirror to ourselves. And as we see in the reflection of that mirror ourselves as we truly are, that can be a painful realization, but an important one as we realize again that we are sinners in need of a savior, that we are those in need of the mercy of God. It, it protects us from pride. It, it keeps us from complacency or conceit. Instead, it helps us to understand and to see that this journey is one of progress and not perfection, that, that God is at work in us uh, through his word, by his spirit, to go on refining us and conforming us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Helping us understand, actually, as we read, uh, to understand more fully how we were created to live and what true human flourishing and fulfillment really looks like. Helping us to see Jesus as the ultimate example of life lived to the full. And we come today to James chapter 3 verses 1 to 12. As we read we see James addresses the subject of words of speech and of the power of words. So if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to go ahead and open it up at James chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have one, the verses will be displayed on the screen up here. But I would always encourage you, if you have one, to get out a Bible and open it and read. Don't just take my word for it that this is what the Bible has to say. Check it out for yourself. Now, Just before we read these verses, I need to let you know that I'm speaking to myself today as much as anyone. As I've prepared this week, it's caused me to have to spend time praying, to spend time reflecting on the condition of my own heart, to spend time addressing things in my own life and in bringing them in repentance to God. I've had to apologize to people. I've had to ask forgiveness from them and ask forgiveness from God. I'm not bringing this to you today as though I've somehow got this all together and all sewn up. These words are challenging to me. 
So we're going to read now, and then we'll spend some time seeking to understand and apply into our context today. Let's read from chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we, with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I'm going to pray and then we'll see how it applies to us. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Today, as we consider the power of words for good and for harm, we thank you for your gracious gift of scripture, that by it we might understand your character, who you are and what you're like, and, and also that by it we might understand ourselves for the purpose we were created and how you uh, intended for us to live in this world that you created too. Lord, I pray that you would help your word today by your spirit to, to take root in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives in the days and weeks and months and years ahead for your glory. Amen. Well, as we get into this, the first thing that we need to be aware of, the first thing we need to notice from James's words here is that words are not incidental. They're important. Words, these small things that come out of our mouth so readily and quickly and easily are more significant than we often believe. You know, we speak so many words every single day, don't we? There's lots of research into this, some more credible than others, perhaps, but it's been reported that the average person is the average, not particularly talkable, not overly quiet, but the average person spends around one-fifth of their time talking. That's incredible. That's the average. 
I think it's supposed to include written communication forms too, so uh, kind of emails, texts, social media posts. It's essentially what we put out there into the world by way of communication for better or worse. It's huge. A fifth of our time. And it's no surprise, it should come as no surprise to us that as God's word, which is designed to help us understand how he intended for us to live in his world, that the Bible has much to say about the subject of words. James has already written several times in this letter about words. In in chapter 1, verse 18, we read about the word of truth, the, the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that we might be the first fruits, that we might be made new, just as Jesus will make all things new when he returns, that if we hear and receive the word of truth, we might be made new. Wow. In one twenty one, he talks about the word planted in you that can save you. That's amazing, right? Words have power, constructive and creative power. Words can bring a true message of hope and rescue that when heard and received can change a person's life for eternity. He also writes in 119, be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Wow, how I wish that were true of our culture, but I think so often it's the opposite, is it not? We're slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to pronounce judgment on people and on things. We're generally a people who are quick to air our opinion on anything and everything for better or worse through Facebook and Twitter and blogging or vlogging or WhatsApp and Messenger, a constant pouring out of our thoughts and opinions, good, bad, or indifferent. James also writes this in 1.26, those who consider themselves religious, as in those who consider themselves uh, in a right relationship with God and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. Ouch. But you know, it's not just James, it's the, the Bible more broadly has so much to say on this subject. We read in Ephesians four twenty nine this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Or how about this from Proverbs 12, verse 18? The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Or Ecclesiastes 10, words from the mouth of of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. Or maybe... I think this describes so much of perhaps what we see in the world around us. Proverbs 18, 2, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. I could go on and on. The Bible contains so much on the subject, and actually it's something that Jesus himself spoke about as well. We, amongst other things, can read in Matthew 12, 36, Jesus said this, 
I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Luke 6, 45, Jesus said, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We'll come back to that later. You see, what we say matters, really matters. How we use our words make a difference. How you use this tiny, boneless muscle in your mouth has huge consequences for good or harm. James gives us some illustrations in this passage to help drive home the point we read from verse 3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. These vivid pictures really need no more explanation. A tiny spark, a little rudder, a huge difference for good or bad. Something so small can have a seemingly disproportionately large impact. We must understand that this is true for our words. You know, the old playground comeback of sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. (laughs) It's simply not true. We, We know it's not true, but we really, really must understand that our words have power and really can cause harm. In fact, Proverbs 18, 21 tells us that the tongue has the power of life and death. The stakes are high. Your words can either speak life or your words can speak death. Your tongues can build others up or tear them down. With a few small words, you can utterly destroy someone's reputation in the eyes of others. And sometimes our words can tear down tragically to the point that someone may even take their own life because they've heard so many times that they're worthless or stupid or ugly or unwanted or some other such insult. Our words spoken over us, for better or worse, have a lasting impact. When I was a child, I aspired to be an athlete, and I was okay. Looking back now, I can see with sober assessment that I was never truly exceptional, but I was okay. Like many boys, I dreamed of competing in the Olympics. Hurdles was my favourite event. I enjoyed all sprints. In fact, to be perfectly honest, I enjoyed all sport, but hurdles was my main event, and one day in the lounge, watching my at-the-time hero, Colin Jackson, in the 110-metre high hurdles. I was 
behaving as a typically excitable child and, and talking to my family who were there watching the telly with me about my aspirations to compete at that level and my desire to be a professional athlete. And my uncle laughed at me. And beyond that, he said I had no chance of becoming a professional athlete, an elite athlete with scrawny chicken legs like those. He meant it as a joke. I tried to laugh it off, but it stuck. It lived with me. Now, I doubt I would ever have accomplished the, the level of uh, athletic competition that I dreamt of, but you know what? Every time I ran afterwards, that comment stuck with me. I grew more and more insecure about my ability, about my physique. I imagined people laughing at me when they may well not have been. And even in more recent years, there have been times when it's reared its head. Words are powerful. There's just one illustration I could give you others, and I'm sure some of you would have stories to tell of perhaps far more hurtful and damaging things spoken into your life that have had a lasting impact through the years. But it's not just for harm. James, on the positive side, has already helped us see, hasn't he, in his letter, that words can be life-giving. That actually the word of truth about Jesus, if we hear and receive it, is powerful to save us from separation from God into new life with God, intimacy with him. It's precisely because words have this kind of power that James gives a warning to and about teachers when he writes this in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. What he means by this is that not many should become preachers, church pastors, teachers in this kind of way. This is a heavy calling. It's a heavy calling because those who unpack and teach God's word will be judged more severely by God because in a sense they represent him. And with their choice of words can lead people to God or away from him. With their choice of words can lead people to life or to death. And trust me, the temptation as a teacher to say things that sound good and please people, even if they don't quite represent what Scripture says to be true, is a huge temptation. And over time, a community is shaped by the words of its leaders. Careless, presumptuous, and ill-informed leaders and teachers create unhealthy communities. Now, if you feel a call of God to teach, to help people understand Scripture, I really don't want to put you off. In fact, I really don't want to put you off. I want to encourage you 
But I want to encourage you to take seriously the weight of that call. I want to encourage you to take seriously the significance of what you do when you do that. Pursue it, but don't do it lightly. Pursue it diligently. Pursue it prayerfully. Pursue it seriously. Words are powerful for good or for harm. But our challenge is this. Mastering the tongue is tough. We all struggle with it. James, so helpfully, and I'm so glad he does, removes from us the the kind of weight of an expectation to be perfect in this area. We read in verse 2, he says, we all stumble in many ways. And I read it and I think, oh my goodness, thank you for writing that. It's not just me who struggles in this regard. We all stumble. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James isn't actually saying that one of you can do that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He's pointing out the fact that, do you know what? Self-control in speech is so hard that if you've got the self-control to never say anything destructive, to never say anything that dishonors God, and causes harm to people, then you have the self-control with ease to make sure that you don't sin in any way with the rest of your body. Because by comparison, the rest of your body is easy. This is the really hard one. And I would guess perhaps as James wrote these words that he may have had childhood memories in mind here. Remember, he's the half-brother of Jesus. Growing up alongside Jesus, who never sinned, who never used his words for harm, who was indeed able to keep his whole body in check, who was indeed the only one who lived his life, beginning to end in perfect obedience to God the Father, lived perfectly in honouring God and blessing others. And no doubt, with that contrast in mind James could recall times when he himself fell short of that standard when he himself was less than perfect when he himself perhaps said words to try and hurt his brother to discredit him to try and tear him down can you imagine the frustration of living with a sibling who was without blemish perfect, who never disobeyed their parents, who never uh, said anything wrong or did anything wrong. Can you imagine the frustration of that, of feeling compared to them? You would, you'd say anything you could to try and get them in trouble, regardless of whether it was true or not. James knew that he himself had fallen short by comparison. Do you know what? So have we. So have you. James goes on to say all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? 
Brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. We all struggle in this regard. And if we say we don't, then we're deluded or we're seeking to deceive. We must, as we read this, recognize in ourselves hypocrisy, our double standards, the blessings and curses that come from our lips, the fact that our tongue, which was designed by God to glorify him, to speak life, to to speak praises of him, to encourage and build up and call out the good we see in others, tragically, we also use for harm, for destructive things, for gossip and slander and deceit, to pull others down either to their face or behind their backs. And as we read these verses, we ought to, like James, feel the tension and we say along with him, this should not be so. How can this be so? But try as we might, we struggle with what comes out of our mouths. And James says, no one has tamed the tongue. No one's got it nailed. We all fall short. So where does that leave us? Does that just mean we're hopeless? Like we might as well give up? Or or do we just have to try harder? Like really, really try harder? Well, no. I don't believe so. And this is why. You see, what comes out of our mouths comes out of the deepest part of who we really are. I don't mean every syllable you utter. I mean, I'm sure that you can say nice things, (laughs) whether you really mean them or not. I'm sure you can also, and probably have, said you're okay when really inside you're hurting in pain or distress. What I mean, though, is when your guard is down, when you're under pressure, What comes out is a reflection of what's inside, of who you are. As Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the core of your being, your mouth speaks. At its root, it's all about your identity. When your identity is threatened, your mouth will let you know. And it probably won't be pretty. See, when you feel insecure, you'll feel the need to pull others down with your words, to paint yourself out to be better than them. If your identity is being the smartest on your team at work or in your friendship group, then when someone comes along who is cleverer than you, and they will, trust me, then what you've rooted your identity in gets shaken. If you've placed your identity in being the cleverest, then when that's threatened, when that's rocked, then you will feel the need to criticise that person. And if you can't make them seem less smart than you, then you'll look for another angle to discredit or belittle them. If you've rooted your identity in being the best looking, then you will criticise the appearance of others. You'll point out their flaws, either to yourself or worse, to other people. If you've rooted your identity in being the best 
parent, then you will criticize and point out the flaws in everyone else's parenting technique and in everyone else's child's behavior. In our bid to find security in the approval of others, we become experts at finding fault with everyone else. At different times in my life, this has been painfully evident and I've had to deal with it. I know I can still sometimes struggle with a critical spirit. But you know where it, it really finds its way out for me? Tragically. And this is something I've come face to face with this week as I've prayed and as I've prepared is actually in anger. You see, at my worst, my temptation is to place my identity in people's good opinion of me in what people think of me, how I appear to them, not my physical appearance, but in how good a person they think I am. And that's a dangerous place to be because anything and anyone who threatens that is the enemy. And so when my children begin to act up and misbehave, I can become angry and critical and come down to harshly on them because I believe that they reflect on me which actually they do reflect on me that's true and I think if people see them behaving in that way then it might ruin people's opinion of me it's horrible it's terrible they're just kids they're learning and growing and my misplaced identity crushes them. My faulty heart leads me to be over-critical of them because I've begun to place my security and my identity in what people think of me. This should not be so. But my words and my responses display that I've forgotten that I'm not living in the good of the gospel of Jesus. Because when your identity is rooted in Christ and not in your own goodness or your performance, it changes everything. When you realise that in Christ you are unconditionally loved and accepted by God because Christ's perfect performance has been credited to you as though it were your own, it changes everything. Everything to see that God looks on you and sees Christ's perfect righteousness given to you as though it were your own. Your identity as a child of God, as chosen and dearly loved, is not based on your performance, on how good you are or how much you know, but is rooted in what Jesus has done on your behalf. When your identity is in him, and not in your ability to perform or achieve, then it frees you. It liberates you. You you don't feel the need to tear down and criticize others. Instead, you're free to celebrate their success, to compliment them, to speak well of them and uh, about them and to them. You can cheer people on who are more successful than you, compliment people who are better looking than you, Champion those who are more talented than you without feeling threatened because your identity isn't in those things, but your identity is in Christ. And because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
A heart that has found its rest in God is free to hold back from speaking in anger. It's quick to listen and slow to speak. And when it does speak, it brings forth refreshing and life-giving words. So I want to invite you today to examine what your tongue says about the state of your heart. It's not easy. This might be painful. But in a way, the fact that out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks is an amazingly gracious gift from God because we're not left trying to second guess what the condition of our hearts is. Our mouth betrays it. It gives it away. You'll know. It's obvious. Are you angry? Are you bitter? Jealous? Insecure? Your mouth will tell you. I want to invite you to come back to Jesus today and to remember that God's love for you does not depend on your looks or intellect or accomplishments. It doesn't rely on your wit or your works. Discover again that your identity before God, if you are in Christ, is that you are loved unconditionally, forgiven completely and free. So when your mouth uncovers your heart and speaks death instead of life, you don't need a language teacher, you need a heart surgeon. And that's what Jesus came to do, came to redeem, came to make new. The Bible tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And as his new creation, we're being transformed more and more into his likeness. Not perfection this side of eternity, but progress. And by his spirit, at work, through his word, our hearts are renewed day by day. It's part of the reason that Bible reading is so important. That as we come under the sound of the gospel, as we read and as we delight in the truth of Scripture, actually it changes us. We daily and continually we need to be reminded of the gospel, of the new identity that we have in Christ Jesus. We need to allow the truth of it to sink in, that God loves you and accepts you, and is for you. Allow it to sink in more and more this week. Let the penny drop from your head to your heart and allow it to take root there. And just see how it begins to affect your speech. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll sing one final song before the end of this service. Lord, I thank you so much that my standing before you is not based on my merit. Lord, I know that I fall so far short and when I try to, to uh, kind of justify myself, it just leads to comparison and, and either then feeling condemnation in myself or tearing others down to try and make myself feel better. Lord, and we recognize that that is such a destructive and horrible cycle. But we thank you that gloriously, because of Christ Jesus, uh, we stand before you and we're judged not on our failings, but on Christ's 
perfect righteousness that is given to us as though it were our own and as we stand before you known fully loved completely accepted holy because we're clothed in Christ that frees us it frees us to to live for you it frees us to speak words of life and not death it frees us to speak affirmation and encouragement to people instead of destruction and sowing division and tearing down. I pray, Lord, that you would secure us again in our identity in you. Lord, I pray that right now in this moment, Lord, that you would uh, give us a new steadfastness in our identity in you, a new sense of surety and affirmation in our standing before you, that out of the overflow of hearts that have found their rest in you, of hearts that have found their peace before you because of the forgiveness we find in Christ Jesus, out of that place our mouths would speak. Lord, would you do it in us all the more this week for your glory. Amen.